we're slow walking through the book of Romans. It is, it is kind of hard to understand sometimes, just to be honest with you. Today, what he does is, and you, you know, that we, this kind of reads like a re- legal brief. He, he makes arguments and then he expands on the argument. And today he anticipates some questions, some objections, if you will. And so to understand what he's doing, you have to sort of understand history. And history is tough. I don't know about you, but I didn't do that great in history. And so I was thinking about how do I introduce the text today and that kind of thing. And so I found some excerpts of um, answers given on college history exams. These are actual answers given on college history exams. Let me give a couple to you. The Greeks had many myths. A myth is a female moth. I didn't say they were smart students. Socrates was a famous Greek teacher who went around giving people advice. He died from an overdose of wedlock. Not good. Uh, Eventually, the Romans conquered the Greeks. History calls the Romans uh, people Roman because they never stayed in one place very long. So they were Roman. Um, The greatest writer of the Renaissance was William Shakespeare. Maybe this stuff isn't any good, and that's why the first service uh, didn't laugh. Um, The greatest writer of the Renaissance was William Shakespeare. He was born in the year 1654, supposedly on his birthday. He wrote tragedies, comedies, and hysterectomies. That's uh, a lot of stuff he's doing there. Another great author was John Milton. Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, then his wife died, and he wrote Paradise Regained. (laughs) I don't know that there was a connection, but evidently. Abraham Lincoln was America's greatest precedent, not to be confused with president. Lincoln's mother died in her infancy. And Lincoln was born in a log cabin that he built with his own hands. That dude was amazing. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves by signing the Emasculation Proclamation. On the night of April 14th, 1865, Lincoln went to the theater and got shot in his seat (laughs) by one of the actors. The The believed assassinator was John Wilkes Booth, an insane actor, this ruined Booth's career. Uh, so, <clears throat> really, it's, it's true, it's just dumb. All right. So, we are um, at Romans 3. Again, it's going to take us, <laughs> it's going to take us for a long time to get through Romans. It's just, it's so meaty. There's just so much stuff. It's dense. And so, um, first few chapters. Uh, Paul's never been to Rome. He writes a letter to them, and he's basically introducing himself and saying, I'm coming to hang out with you guys, and when I do, this is the stuff we're going to talk about. So here's some theology that we need to discuss. And chapter 1, first part of chapter 1 is, hey, this is who I am. The second part, sort of the end of chapter 1, is he starts to make an argument that people need a Savior. And he talks about rebellious people and and when we read that, it's like, yeah, those people really do need to be saved. But then in chapter 2, he sort, of, he sort of turns the argument a little bit. And he says, it's not just rebellious people that need Jesus. It's also people who are respectable. 
They're, they're good, they do good things, but they still need Jesus. And then he, he, he dials it up just a little bit more and he says, it's not just re- rebellious people and it's not just respectable people, it's also religious people. And as an example, he uses the Jews. The Jews, because he was a Jew, he could say the, these things about Jewish people. He wasn't an anti-Semite, he's Jewish. But he's saying, we believe certain things that are, we believe certain things will get us saved, and these are the things that don't get us saved. So I sort of like to read um, legal novels. I like to watch, you know, legal movies. I like those things. Um, uh, you know, a few good men, and and my cousin Vinny, and you know some of those. And so I like these these movies and these John Grisham books and such. And in every one of those television shows or movies or or books, um, they have there are scenes in th- these dramas where one of the lawyers, either the prosecutor or the defense attorney, will stand up and they say, objection, your honor. I object. I object to the question, or I object to the means, or I object to the line of questioning, and that kind of thing. There's a question, they'll state why they have an objection. So I've read the book of Romans probably um, 500 times in my life, maybe more. And I never really understood what Paul was doing at the beginning of chapter 3. And it's really confusing if you don't get this. So, what Paul is doing is he's anticipating objections. Here's the objection, and now I'm going to answer the objection. And here's the anticipated objection, and now I'm going to answer that objection. And he does it in three different uh, objections. This one, this one, this one. He sort of stacks them, and and he'll present one and then he'll present the the um, solution to it or uh, you know the judge rules on an objection it's either sustained or or it's not and so he uh, he overrules all of these objections that's the spoiler by the way uh, he's going to talk about these objections and then he overrules them and so that's kind of what we're doing today in a synagogue setting when a priest when a, a priest when a rabbi was teaching um, it wasn't uncommon for the rabbi to stop while he's teaching and say, are there any questions? And this feels like that. So when you read it the first time through, it's like, I don't even know what he's talking about, but maybe it'll make sense and we're going to kind of break it down into bite-sized chunks. So the Jewish objections to, so Paul has just said, even though we're Jews, that doesn't guarantee salvation. So now he's anticipating, I'm Jewish. Paul's saying, I'm Jewish. I can anticipate what the Jews are going to object. And this is, this is the first one. If being good doesn't get us saved, haven't we been good for nothing? What advantage, they say, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value the, uh, is there of circumcision? Like, why are we doing these things if it doesn't win God's favor? So when you look at the Old Testament... Back at the beginning of the Old Testament, God lays out a plan. Here is how you get saved. Here, well, not really. This is how you get your sins forgiven. There's an animal sacrifice. You have to put blood on the mercy seat. Uh, Day of Atonement. Once a year, this happens. Well, then eventually the temple was destroyed. There wasn't an opportunity to do this. They weren't offering animal sacrifices because they couldn't. Many of them were taken into captivity and such and such. And so they developed a different strategy to appease God. And the strategy was, we're going to do really good things and we're going to make God approve of us. Because we're so good, God will say, oh, I approve of who you are. And that was their mentality. We're going to be good in order to win God's favor. And so 
they're saying, okay, Paul, you just said that's not how you get to win favor with God, so why have we been good? <laughs> if, it, if there's no benefit, why do it? Now, at work, they're, they're, you can be incentivized by a couple of reasons. I might be incentivized to, to work hard and do a good job because I might get a promotion, or I might get a, a raise, or there might be a bonus for me. Uh, so there's, there's a monetary, or maybe there's a position that I can uh, acquire if I do a great work, that kind of thing. Or maybe it's just recognition. I get a plaque, or I get an award. I'm incentivized by that. But, but maybe you're in a job that d- doesn't offer those things, and then you work hard because you have a your mom and dad gave you a, a work ethic that says, okay, you, you give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. I mean, that's kind of how, you, that's how you, you live life. And so their question is, all right, Paul, you, you just said this, we, we can't win God's favor, so why be good? I read a really interesting article this week about job titles and how some people are incentivized by their job title. Just the job title itself makes them want to do a better job. So if you're up for it, we're going we're gonna to have a little, uh, we'll do a little quiz. You ready? Okay. Um, so here's how this works. When I talk and say, are you ready? You say, yes, y'all, we love quizzes. We love this. It'll be fun. All right. So I'm going to give you the title of someone's job, and you're going to see if you can guess what the job is. All right, you got it? Okay. <laughs> okay. Pretty unenthusiastic, but that's okay. All right. A chief executive officer of household operations is? Stay-at-home mom. Stay-at-home mom. Very good. You all are cracking now. Okay. Now we're rolling. All right. A potion maestro. Pharmacist. Right. Well done. A master of disaster. By the way, not a preacher. Not a preacher. What are you saying? A husband. No. <laughs> all right. All, all I'm hearing about that. Okay. It is a remediation specialist. Isn't that a great title for a remediation? Like if your house catches on fire and they go in and make, make it like it's never happened or whatever. That's like Serpro, I think. Um, a thoroughfare environmental hygienist. Not a maid, not a dentist, street sweeper. Who said that? Michael Cowdery, bringing the wood, baby. All right, good job. Way to go. A refuse reductionist. Oh, that's easy. Trash collector. Okay. A director of first impressions. That's brilliant, by the way. It's a brilliant title for a receptionist. Uh, last one, tra- transparent wall tidier. Washer. That's right, window washer. Yeah, first, first group didn't get any of these. Uh, we're such losers, but don't tell them. Okay, um, all right. So the question, what advantage is there of being a Jew? I mean, we got a title. We're, we're God's chosen people. But what advantage is there? Paul, Paul you just said there's sort of an accusation in, in this question. You just said there's no advantage. So, we're God's chosen people. Whoop-de-doo. And Paul answers. Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. God gave you, he's saying, the keys to the kingdom. You know the path to win 
uh, not win God's favor, but, but to be God's people. You, you've been given gold. This is gold. This is the best it can be. You've been given God's word. By the way, when he says, first of all, when I was in uh, high school, they taught me that you never say, first of all, there's not a second of all. Really, there's not a second of all here. But it's basically saying, this is the most important task you could have been given. You were entrusted with the word of God. It is a tremendous responsibility. And concerning the Word of God, the Jews were to do two things. They were to protect it. They were to share it. Now, they were really good at protecting it. They shielded it, man. They, they, they honored it. They did, they did that really, really well. But that wasn't the entire assignment. In, in fact, the Bible says, uh, God speaking to the Jews, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. I will bring salvation, my salvation, to the ends of the earth through you. You guys, you Jews, you're my people. You're my chosen people. You're supposed to be out there making converts, winning people to the Lord. They'll see your light and they'll be drawn to your light. But rather, they became ex exclusionists. I heard somebody say one time, a clique is only bad if you're not in it. Well, the, the Jews were in, and it's like, we're in and you're out, and tough, you know, it stinks to be you. It's kind of their attitude. I, I read about a, a dating site. I don't believe it's up anymore. I kind of looked and I couldn't find it. Um, it was called beautifulpeople.com. Now, in the day, the only way you could get into beautifulpeople.com is only a certain few, few were in there, and you paid a high you know, price to be a part of this dating service. And if you wanted to be in, you would submit a photo, and then the people that were in, in the group would vote to see if you could get in or not. Uh, one out of five people who submitted an application to be part of beautifulpeople.com, only one in five got in. Um, in fact, they sort of monitored your social media, and if you, well, they kicked 5,000 members out one year for gaining some weight over the holidays. Beautifulpeople.com. We had kind of the same thing in Kentucky. It was called peoplewithalmostalltheirteeth.com. Uh, almost the same. Almost very similar, very similar. All right, so, so God says, I'm giving you the word of God not to hoard it, but to share it. Because God gives us all a responsibility. I mean, he's always done this. So let's look, Adam. The Lord placed Adam, the man, in the Garden of Eden, and he said, I want you to tend it, and I want you to watch over it. God gives us something to do. He gives us all something to do. And for Adam, from the very first man that ever walked this planet, he said, I've got something for you to do. Now, we all know, when you're a kid, your parents, eventually you grow up, you mature, and your parents start to give you certain responsibilities. And like when you turn 16, you get the responsibility of driving a car, and your parents will teach you, and they'll nurture you in that driving, and then eventually they, they let you go. And have you ever thought of the magnitude of the responsibility of driving a car? Because you literally have your life in your own hands. And you have the people who are around you, their lives in your own hands. And so it's this great responsibility that parents give their kids. And maybe they'll let them do certain things or stay up a certain way. But responsibility is a gift. And maybe you have a job and you were at a job someplace and they give you more responsibility. And I know the cynic in here is saying, yeah, they're giving me more, but they're not paying me more. Yeah, but... 
There's a responsibility, and there's a blessing in responsibility. And God had given them this, this tremendous responsibility. You guys, my chosen people, you have the word, the keys to the kingdom. You, you have to share it. They didn't do a very good job. And Jesus one time said, I tell you that the kingdom of God, he's speaking to Jews, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a people who will produce its fruit. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees, these are the Jewish Jews you can be, when they heard Jesus, they knew he was talking about them. Jesus said, you're not doing your job. And when you don't do your job, you get replaced. And Jesus said to us who follow him, this applies to us as well. He said, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, this is so important, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We have also been given a responsibility. So the objection was, why should we be good? Well, it's overruled because we behave uh, with uh, good character because it's the responsibility that God's given us. This is what God has called us to do. All right, so objection number two. Doesn't God owe the Jews salvation? He made a promise to us. That's what, that was the argument. What if some were unfaithful? By the way, it's really kind of funny. What if some were unfaithful? Um... That's like when you go to the doctor and she says, so how often do you exercise? And you say pretty often, and what you mean is never. Uh, that's kind of the same thing here. What if some, <laughs> it should say most, almost all were unfaithful? Where their, uh, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? If a few of us didn't obey, would... Does that mean that, that God now, he just kind of kicks us to the curb? He's going to kick all of us to the curb because there were a few, a few bad apples? Did it spoil the whole bunch? That's what they're, this is the argument. Why is God punishing all of us? And again, there's an accusation. You've said that we're not special. Well, but we're God's chosen people. And they were depending on their Jewishness to get eternity with God. And we talked about this last week. There are Christians that do, or people who go to church who do the same thing. And you'll say, are, are, are you a follower of Jesus? And they'll say, well, I've been baptized, or I've, been, uh, I've taken communion, or I've been through confirmation, or I'm a church member, and all those things are okay. They don't save you. We talked about it last week. They just doesn't save you. So did God make promises to the Jews? Absolutely. Does God ever break a promise? Never. Now look at what Paul does. This is the argument. God promised, therefore he should fulfill his promise. And Paul says, not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. By the way, that's true. Uh, every human being is a liar and God is always true. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. He says, not at all. It's a really interesting Greek phrase. Me genoito. It means no, 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 no. It is the strongest 
form of, uh, of saying no that you can say in the Greek language. This is what wives say when husbands say, can I get a new boat? No, 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 no. This is what I say when somebody says, do you want cheese on your burger? No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's the force. Paul is like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, respectfully. You know, it's like, that's just really idiotic. No, heaven forbid. It is never that way. Now, there are, God does make promises in Scripture. He made a bunch of them to, to the Jews. There are unconditional promises, and there are conditional promises. Let's, let's look at a couple. An unconditional promise is there's going to be a Messiah. For a child will be born, we use this at Christmas. For, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Did the Jews deserve a Messiah? Well, we know they didn't. Did Jesus come anyway? Well, we know he did. I mean, they didn't deserve it, but this is an unconditional promise. I will do this whether you earned it or deserve it or not. This is what God says. There are others. Um, God's promises are based on his character, not our performance. And so some people will teach, okay, well, you can lose your salvation. But Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. He would be saying, me, Jonato, no, no, no. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I'm, I'm so thankful my salvation doesn't depend on my keeping the rules. Because I'm just going to be real honest with you. If this verse wasn't in Scripture, if my salvation depended on my actions, I... I would have been lost many times because I have done things that warrant God to turn his back on me. He never has. He made a promise. It's unconditional. He, he, in fact, there are unconditional promises in, in Scripture as well. Now, that's why I believe that God isn't through with the nation Israel. Of, of all the nations that existed in Jesus' day, there's only one that still exists, Israel. I think God has a plan for Israel. Uh, he's using the church now, but God has a plan for Israel. I think that's true. Uh, I believe when God gives his word, he follows through. Now, some of his promises are conditional. Let me show you one. In Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does it say everyone will be saved? No. What's the condition? Calling on the name of the Lord. Anybody, everybody can call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't say everybody will call on the name of the Lord. If you do, you can be saved. Everyone, this is the condition, who calls on the name of the Lord, the promise is will be saved. This is a conditional promise. So the objection of, well, doesn't he owe us? Well, okay. It's overruled. God will save every single person he's promised to save, but not apart from, but from faith. You have to believe in order to be saved. So now this leads to the third objection. And Paul really kind of goes nuts here. The third objection is basically this. Well, 
Paul, you're teaching us that God forgives, so maybe I should sin so God has an opportunity to forgive, and that's the way we can get the message out that God forgives. It's a silly argument. How can God be mad at me if I sin, if I, am ultimately, if I ultimately bring him glory? This is how they, they couch their argument. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. I'm using a human argument. You know about human arguments? It's really, our, our, our logic is faulty. I heard about a little boy and he, he had kind of a mutt puppy and he told his mom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell my puppy today. She's like, okay. And he said, I'm, I'm going to ask $10,000 for it. And she kind of giggles. like, okay, tell me how that works out. So he comes back at lunch, no puppy. She said, where's the puppy? I sold it. Did you have to come down on your price? Not a bit. She said, did you get $10,000 for your puppy? He goes, well, not quite. I traded it for two $5,000 cats. <laughs> That's human logic, right? Human logic. Okay. So, if my unrighteousness brings God righteousness more clearly, obviously he should thank me. God should thank me for my sin. It's kind of the argument. Of course not. Guess what this is? Me genoito. Of course not. No, no, no. I, if God were not entirely fair, how would we, he be qualified to judge the world? Of course not. It is, it's crazy talk what you're saying here. That is a crazy argument. And then he builds on it. He takes it to its logical, illogical conclusion. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness, well, and so increases his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? I mean, come on, man. It would be like you going in or somebody going into a boss's office and the boss say, um, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to uh, tell you, we found out you're skimming off the top. And the guy goes, oh, forgive me. And the boss says, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. And this, this employee does it over and over and over and over again. And every time he skims off the top, he asks to be forgiven, and he's forgiven. And then one day the boss has had enough, and the boss says, I'm going to have to fire you. And the guy goes, what are you talking about? Your employees love you because you're so forgiving. I'm giving you the opportunity to be forgiving. You have a reputation because I keep stealing stuff. You should thank me for stealing stuff. What's ridiculous? And that's the argument they're making. It is really ridiculous. And then he goes on. Why not say, as some are slanderously claimed that we say, let us do evil that good may result. And then he says their condemnation is revealed. Look, if, uh, if sinning brings God glory, then we're going to live la vida loca. We're going to go crazy. We're just going to do it, man. This is like you go to the doctor and they do the swab and you have strep throat. It's not a very severe case of strep throat. You have a few little things on your, on your tonsils and, and, and your doctor says, okay, I have a wonder drug that will heal <coughs> your strep throat. And you say, all right, all right. I don't want to take it yet. I want my throat to get really streppy. I want to be so streppy that I can hardly think. And then we're going to take it and we're going to see if it really works. You have a wonder drug? We're going to see. We're going to, we're going to, put, it to the, put it through its paces. We're going to see if it really works. Well, we have people like that. 
All right, I read about a dude named MacArthur Wheeler. He went into two banks in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, some of your people, Paul. Uh, went into two banks in Pittsburgh. He's probably a cousin. I bet he's a cousin of yours. Anyway, he robs two banks on the same day. No mask. In fact, when he's walking out the door, he sees the camera, and he kind of grins at the camera like a goof. He goes home. Later that night, the police show up, and he is amazed that they found him. And they showed him the video, and he said, but, but I used the juice. I'm like, what? I used the juice, man. The dude thought, because you can use lemon juice to be invisible ink, that if you rubbed lemon juice on your face, the camera couldn't see you. They tested him, because that's pretty dumb. <laughs> it was just a mistake. Well, it's a pretty severe mistake, and his error in judgment cost him years in the penitentiary. And Paul was like, look, if you believe that craziness, their, their condemnation is deserved. These arguments are, are, are illogical. They just don't make any sense. And then he closes, and it's really interesting how he closes. Oh, by the way, obje uh, objection overruled. God doesn't need our evil to contrast his goodness. And then he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we, the Jews, have any advantage? Not at all. But not because we're not chosen people. No. For we have already made the charge that Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, most of us, alike, are all under the power of sin. We're all in the same boat. That's what he says. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And the truth of the matter is this, and we'll end with this, the only means of salvation is Jesus. We all have a need. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a need. And Jesus is the only means of salvation. That's the whole argument of the book of Romans. Jesus is the way God gave us in order to be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, this message, this word. I pray, Lord, that you would <clears throat> help us to understand fully all that you've called us to. You've given us a task. We're to be the light of the world if we're followers of Jesus. So, Lord, help us to be a light to the world. If by chance we're here and we just haven't made a commitment yet, I pray, Lord, that we would give our hearts to you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord doesn't say can be saved. It says will be saved. It's a promise. So, Lord, if there's anybody here who's not accepted that promise, I pray that they would. We love you. Help us to serve you well this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friend Paige is in the back. If you're a guest, welcome to you. I would love for you to go see Paige.